You are Locked On Hawks, your daily Atlanta Hawks podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hello, friends, and welcome to episode 733 of the Locked On Hawks podcast. I am your host, Brad Rowland, it is officially Tuesday morning as I start to record this podcast. The Hawks went to double overtime earlier tonight. I was in the building at State Farm Arena for what became a 143-138 to win for Atlanta. A lot of, uh, you know, back-and-forth action throughout this game, really. The game never really got out of hand in either direction. The Hawks were in control for much more of the game than the Hornets were. But uh, in the end, the Hawks kind of failed to execute a few different times at the end of regulation, at the end of the first overtime, but still managed to get the win and uh, a nice positive evening for the Hawks overall, despite the fact that there were some issues that we'll definitely tackle along the way on the podcast. Um, We'll dive in for the most part here. Obviously, it might be a little bit longer than usual because of the uh, double overtime nature of the game, but I won't fly through all the details just because of the fact that there was an extra 10 minutes of basketball to account for with plenty of back and forth. So at the outset here, sort of a looming weirdness all day long with the coronavirus updates and the fact that the media, as of, I guess today will be the last time that I set foot in a locker room for a while, um, according to the updates that have been announced by various sports, including Major League Baseball and the NBA. Um, But alas, other than that, uh, we'll we'll just focus on basketball here for the purposes of this podcast. And the Hawks were at full strength for the most part. Uh, Of course, they're still without Scalabissier and Clint Capella and DeAndre Bembry in this game, but the Hawks actually had guys on the injury report. John Collins, Kevin Herter were probable. DeAndre Hunter was uh, questionable. Jeff Teague, questionable at one point. All all, all four of of those guys who were in the rotation were upgraded to available, and the Hawks had their uh, full complement of guys, at least the ones that they've had recently um, along the way in this game. Charlotte was pretty much healthy on on their own as well, and the Hawks were still four-point favorites. In fact, it was kind of a miracle that the Hawks were able to cover this spread because of the free throws late by Cam Reddish. But regardless, the Hawks were favored. That People were asking me why that was. I think it's pretty simple. I know the Hornets have a better record than the Hawks do, even with this um, loss by Charlotte. But the Hawks are uh, pretty significantly better at home this season um, than they are on the road, and also significantly better than the than the Hornets have been on the road. In fact, the Hawks have a net rating that's about 6.5 points better than the Hornets' net rating um, when, when, when Atlanta's at home and Charlotte will be on the road. So that kind of explains part of that. And there you go on that. Um, Diving into the game itself, as we always do at the top, and uh, in contrast to a lot of recent games, the Hawks actually started this game very well. They opened the game on a 12-3 run um, that included 5-of-5 shooting. Trey Young had it going in the early going. It was pretty clear um, when compared to Saturday that Trey had much more juice and much much more energy level. Um, Hopefully he's feeling a little bit better physically, and that was pretty much on display here in this game. He had three assists and a deep three in the early, in the uh, opening minutes. Also, Dwayne Debbin played very well, made his first shot after uh, some struggles, obviously offensively, in the game in Memphis on Saturday. The Hornets did respond, though. It was a lot of game-of-run stuff in the early going. Um, Charlotte had their own 9-0 run after that, and the Hawks had an 8-2 in response to that. Lots of back and forth, and I think the theme, basically, of the first, I don't know, quarter, quarter, two quarters, three quarters, almost the entire game, frankly, was that neither team could stop the other. That's kind of the overarching theme that I want to get across about this game is that offensively, the Hawks were awesome on this night. Defensively, they were not as awesome. So we'll talk about that all the way through. But a 7-0 run by the Hornets late to take a lead. The Hawks did uh, go into a um, to the second quarter tied at 30, 32-32. So it was basically 
other than the uh, than the runs early on, no team led by more than like six points for a long stretch of this game. With lots and lots of back and forth, back and forth, mini runs going back in um, uh, on both sides. At the end of the first quarter, the Hawks were shooting the ball incredibly well, 68.4% from the floor in the first quarter, and 50% from three with nine assists, and they were tied, which kind of tells you all you need to know about the fact that um, Charlotte had um, their offense going as well. Terry Rozier and Devontae Graham had 26 points on 15 shots in the first quarter, and the Hawks uh, did everything they could to take the lead offensively, just couldn't get stops um, really the entire game, especially in the first half. Um, the Hawks did go into their bench a little bit in the second quarter. Um, the only stud of the night for Bruno Fernando happened at the beginning of the second quarter. The Hawks went with John Collins as the backup center in addition to being the starting power forward in this game. And they went pretty short bench-wise. For a game that um, featured 58 minutes of play, the Hawks only had six guys play more than 20 minutes um, actually, six guys played more than 15 minutes in this game. And then three bench pieces, Jeff T, Vince Carter, Trayvon Graham, played 14, 15, and 15 um, minutes per. And then Ruder Fano with only five. So just pretty interesting stuff there. Obviously, the Hawks haven't played since uh, since Saturday. They had the day off yesterday, so maybe a little bit fresher. But uh, lots of pushing a little bit on the minutes in this spot. Um, in the early going, again, kind of the theme again, but the offense on both sides was very was very strong. In fact, both teams were comfortably north of 140 offensive ratings in the first, you know, quarter and a half, quarter and three quarters. There were seven combined turnovers in the first 20 plus minutes of this game. Just a lot of just a lot of offense, basically. Um, DeAndre Hunter had two instances in the first half where he tried to dunk the ball. Neither were successful, but both were uh, pretty encouraging in their uh, aggressiveness. There was one that he tried to get on Bismarck Biombo that was actually not called a foul. He just kind of missed it and was maybe a little bit foul on the play. It just wasn't called. The second one, he tried to basically dunk over the entire Hornets team and was called for and, and there was a foul call. He got to the line and make, made both free throws. But DeAndre's not always been so aggressive in attacking the rim this year. I was encouraged to see that, and it was I wanted to definitely point that out. The fact that he did um, that he did do that, and the Hawks had also had one stretch where uh, both um, Reddish and Carter hit back to back threes to give them a lead. They led for uh, most of the way in the second quarter uh, to the point where the Hawks led the game at the halftime break by three points. Um, at halftime, the pace of the game, really the entire way, was very slow. So. I know, I know the, the final score in double overtime always seems like a lot of points. 143 to 138 is a lot of points. But if you just saw the pace numbers in this game, just the tempo, the the lack of possessions, you would have assumed this would not have been a hugely scoring game. But the Hawks were just so good offensively and so were the Hornets, honestly, on a per-possession basis that um, it didn't really matter because the, the efficiency was so good. In fact, Atlanta shot 66% from the floor in the entire first half. That is a lights-out number. 58% from three. They had 17 assists. In fact, they had an 80% effective field goal percentage, which is just ludicrous, especially when you consider how bad the Hawks have been shooting the ball for the entire season. And they had a 144 offensive rating. Lots of uh, positive stuff individually in the first half. 13 points for Trey Young, eight assists. Uh, 12 and 5 for Wayne Debman, 11 points for John Collins, 10 points for Cam Reddish, and a lot of positivity despite the uh, shaky defense in the first half of this contest. Uh, before we get to the rest of the way, and there is plenty more to discuss on this podcast, and including the third quarter and beyond, I want to talk to you about the good folks at Indeed. When you start your hiring process, you have many questions. Will you find good applicants to choose from? What about education and experience? And how will you know if you made the right hire? Indeed is here to help. Millions of great candidates use Indeed every single day to find their next opportunity. You can post a job in minutes and use screener questions to help you create your short list of applicants fast. Also, you can add a skills test to your job post so you can be confident in your applicants' abilities. Their library of more than 50 skills tests range from industry-specific skills like accounting to general aptitude tests like critical thinking. 
Indeed gives you the smart tools to make hiring decisions quickly and to be confident that you're making the right hire for your team. Post your job today at Indeed.com slash locked on. Get a free sponsored job upgrade on your first posting. That's Indeed.com slash locked on. Terms, conditions, and exclusions apply. Offer valid through March 31st, 2020. All right, and we're back to talk about the third quarter and beyond. And uh, the third quarter was pretty it was pretty interesting in its own right. The Hornets did sort of strike first, cutting the lead down to one, but then the Hawks, um, led by Trey Young, pushed the lead up to 77-68. In fact, the Hawks did finally go with their small ball, best five-man lineup of the young guys, moving through the third quarter, and it was pretty it was pretty effective. In fact, John Collins made his first ten shots in this game. Through, 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 through only two and a half quarters. He seemed to miss an 11th shot. In fact, in the building and on the official NBA box score for a few minutes, it was ruled as a missed shot to break that, that, that 10 consecutive made shot streak for John. Then it was actually overruled to a turnover, and that allowed him to keep that perfect that perfect shooting. It was uh, spoiled later on. We'll talk about that in a second, but uh, Collins was extremely efficient along the way there. There was one mind-numbing play defensively that I wanted to point out. DeAndre Hunter committed a very bad foul that everyone sort of was talking about on Twitter. Just kind of uh, one of those brain fart moments for, that, that rookies kind of t- kind of tend to have. That was a bad one on a five-on-four defensively. But the ball movement was really good in the third quarter. Lloyd Pierce seemed pretty pleased with that overall in this game. I actually asked him about that on um, post-game that he was pretty happy with the way the ball was moving and the energy that kind of emanated from that. That's not necessarily, of course, it helps to make shots, but he was pleased with the way they were kind of flying around and cutting all that stuff. And I would tend to agree with that. Offensively, there was one possession particularly ended in a Vince Carter three that had gorgeous ball movement. You know, seven, eight, nine passes around the perimeter and uh, cuts and activity, and that ended up with a an open three that was canned. And that's kind of the way you want to draw it up, honestly. Um, pretty, pretty, pretty much the same story though. Overall, in the third quarter, you know, good offense, shaky defense. Trey Young got it going a little bit more in the third quarter, and uh, the Hawks' offense was still very, very good with a 140 offensive rating through three quarters. Uh, in the fourth. Things get a little bit busier here, so I'll try not to give you the entire play-by-play of what transpired here. So we'll we'll fast forward a little bit here. Um, the Hawks' lead was trimmed was trimmed a little bit. They got back to six on a reddish three with about five and a half minutes to go, and they lay up from Kevin Herter with about five minutes to go. And the Hawks led by a score of one twelve to one hundred four. And then after that, Kevin Herter hit a three off a curl to cap an eight two run for the Hawks. And uh, you know, in, in zooming ahead, it was 115 to 106 Hawks with 425 left to go in the game at a timeout. So you're up by nine at home. You should win this game. Um, from there, though, didn't hold, did not go very well. Terry Rozier was unconscious along the way here. He made a three out of the timeout. Then the Hawks missed a three, committed a turnover, and then Dwight Debbin fouled out with 340 to go in, in regulation. So the Hawks are now shorthanded. They had they're kind of without their only reliable non-John Collins center that's available in Deadman. And then the Hornets did a three on this possession to cut it down to three. From there, it was a lot of back and forth. The Hawks did lead again by five after DeAndre Hunter made an open three with two minutes to go to go up 119-114, but out of a timeout again. Rogier hits another three for the Hawks. The Hawks call timeout. And then uh, despite the fact that they actually successfully got Trey Young switched um, you know, onto Bismack Biombo one-on-one, Trey sort of settled and that was not a great possession. Uh, one, on a step back three against Biombo, he missed that one. And then Rozier hit another three to give Charlotte the lead. So, you know, within about three and a half minutes, the Hawks go from up nine to down one off of a three by Rozier. Um, from there, the Hawks were in some trouble because Cam Reddish misses the three. And then it was not a not, not a terrible look, but it was not wide open either. Uh, that one, it could have gone down. It didn't go down. The Hawks, the Hawks, though, got a big stop coming out of that. And then Young hits Collins on a lob dunk and transition to take a two-point lead in the uh, final minute of this game. After a timeout, 
Reddish is then called for a foul on Devontae Graham with five and a half seconds to go. Probably not the greatest call in the world. It was probably not the worst call in the world either, but he makes both to go up by one. By the way, as a note here, Trey Young was off the floor on that defensive only possession, which I definitely agree with. I mean, as long as you're as long as you have a timeout and the Hawks did to get him back on the court offensively, which they did momentarily, um, he was only out for a few seconds. I'm okay with them going away from that. I know people were sort of bothered a little bit by that, but when it's really defense only and you're winning like that and you have a timeout to get him back on the floor, as long as you do it and call the timeout to get him back on the floor, which the Hawks did, that is totally fine to have your worst defensive player off the floor. So that was uh, okay. Um, Still, um, Trey gets fouled after coming back into the game. The Hawks, Hawks, just to reset a little bit here, the Hawks have the ball down one, five and a half seconds to go. They get a nice, um, you know, a nice little sequence there to have Trey get fouled with 1.8 to go. He makes the first one to tie the game, and everyone, including me, thinks this game is about to be over because Trey Young's at the free throw line and he misses the second one, and that forces overtime. So, you know, you could have, it could have been worse. You could have missed both. It could have been a no possession, and the Hawks lose the game. But in the end, it goes to overtime because Trey misses the uh, the, the second free throw. It kind of rounded in and out as well. It wasn't like it was a, just a bad miss. He just kind of uh, didn't get the bounce. And there you go on that. Go to overtime from there. Um, in the overtime period, a little bit of a slow start in a lot of ways. Uh, Rozier finally scores. Then Trey hits a three to go up by one with 3.30 to go. Um, in that in that overtime period, Trey was uh, very good. He actually scored the first seven points of overtime. But Terry Rozier was still cooking. He had a seventh three to go up by two. Um, Trey then ties it though um, with with his bucket. They're out of a timeout. The Hawks got a good look for Reddish actually, but it didn't fall for the rookie. And then the uh, Hornets produced a dunk actually with a, with about a minute to go to go up by two. Uh, Collins with the use of a second effort. I wanted to point out, um, nodded the game back again with a basket at the rim. In fact, it was his first miss on that possession was his first miss of the game. So John was still perfect in, all the way into overtime, which is pretty outrageous for him. But he gets the bucket there. Um, Charlotte then inexplicably gets a shot clock violation. It was good defense by the Hawks, though. That's the one thing I want to point out there. The Hawks did not have a great defensive game by any means. That was a good possession, and uh, Charlotte's offense kind of folded in a lot of ways in that spot. The Hawks didn't take advantage, though, um, as he as Trey Young missed a floater um, moments later that would have given the Hawks the lead. It was still tied, though. The Hornets get possession with three and a half, 3.8 seconds to go, and the Hawks give an intentional foul, which is actually kind of smart because if, if you watch the play again, the Hornets would have probably had a pretty good look for Rozier if they did not foul um, Zeller at the top of the key. Um, Charlotte then calls timeout, sets the play up with 2.7 seconds to go, and in real time, the Hawks are called for a foul on Devontae, on on, uh, on Trey Young Graham, I should say. Call, he called for a foul against Rozier. If anything, it looked like Rozier hooked him in real time even. And then after a lengthy official review to rule that it was a foul on Atlanta, Pierce smartly challenges the call. And uh, after that review, it is, a, it is a successful challenge giving the Hawks the ball back with one second to go. Um, Pierce was asked about this after the game and basically noted the fact that they called originally a knee-to-knee contact foul on Trayvon Graham, which probably was the right call if you ignore the hook. And uh, because it was shown on the replay in the building so many times during the official review that for just to see the, just to check on the time, Pierce was able to look up, see that the hook was as clear as day, and then challenge, and the call was overturned into that. And that was a nice, uh, a nice bit of coaching there from Lloyd and his assistants. Regardless, the Hawks do get the chance to score and walk it off. Trey Young gets a pretty good look, honestly. In fact, Trey, uh, sorry, Lloyd Pierce came into the came into the post game press conference, um, jokingly and smilingly, um, noting that he drew up the play of the year on that play, and Trey just missed the floater. Which you know, it was a good, it was a nice play play designed by by Lloyd. I thought I thought Trey made it. Frankly, it was right in front of me. Um, just didn't didn't get it to go, and the Hawks go to double overtime as a result of that. But honestly, unlike regulation, when the Hawks should have won in regulation. 
the overtime period f- did not feel like the Hawks, um, you know, gave it gave it up. In fact, overtime felt uh, a second overtime probably felt like, like a pretty good result to Atlanta, given everything that actually transpired in that five minute period. Um, to double overtime quickly here, I know I'll fly through this as much as I can. The Hawks get a couple of stops at the outset. It was pretty slow offensively from Charlotte in the second overtime. Trey Young gets a layup to go up by three. Um, Rozier, though, answers with a finish in the lane. Trey misses a deep three from there. Collins gets an offensive rebound, but the possession ends in a charging foul on Collins. Um, Rozier then misses a pull-up jumper that would have gotten the Hornets back within one. And nice rebound by Kevin Herter, um, followed by a, kind of a bad shot from DeAndre Hunter um, that he probably should have passed it a little bit before that. And then the Hornets miss a corner three as well. Herter is then blocked at the rim with about 75 seconds to go with the Hawks up by one. That was a bad moment in a lot of ways. But a nice contest by the Hawks' defense against Devontae Graham, who misses a um, not, not a layup, but certainly a pretty close shot. The Hawks get a rebound with DeAndre Hunter. And then uh, out of a pick and roll, Young finds Reddish for a dunk to put the Hawks up by three at 138 to 135. That prompts a timeout from Charlotte, and suddenly the Hawks are in control again. But of course, after the timeout, Rozier hits his eighth three of the game to tie it with 24 seconds to go. So suddenly the Hawks do have the ball still, but it's, it's back to a tie game. A triple overtime is now very possible. Coming out of the timeout, though, um, Herter spins in the middle of the lane, has an open lane going to the rim, kicks it out to Hunter. I thought Herter probably should have kept going, frankly, but it was a, it was a wide open look, at least on paper, when he kicked it out to Hunter. Hunter is fouled by the Hornets, shooting a three. Honestly, I thought it was a pretty fortunate call for the Hawks. I'm not surprised that it was called because it wasn't like a blatantly obvious non-foul. But if you watch the replay, I'm not sure there was a ton there to call, but it was called. And the Hawks get a benefit there at home. Hunter calmly uh, and in pretty inspiring fashion for a rookie knocks down all three with 13 seconds to go, put the Hawks up. And then finally and mercifully, the Hawks force a miss on the other end of the floor, get the rebound, kick it to Cam Reddish, who is fouled with about five seconds to go. Cam makes both to ice the game. And the Hawks, uh, I would say, escape for sure, win a 143-138 decision. So, well, play by play there, probably more than I would like to do. But there was just so much that happened in the final, you know, 10, 15 minutes of this game of clock time that I wanted to make sure I went through all of it. Um, Zooming out a little bit more now, though, um, offensively, as I said before in this game, the Hawks were just awesome. It was one of the best offensive performances of the season. Charlotte is not incredible defensively, but they are better defensively than they are on offense, to be sure. And they didn't execute, you know, terribly in this spot if you're the Hornets. But Atlanta's offense was great. Even with the overtime periods to kind of slow down the numbers a little bit, the Hawks finished with a 131 offensive rating. That is excellent under any circumstances, and especially when you realize that the Hawks missed 11 free throws, which, you know, they're not incredible always at the line, but Collins missed four, Trigon Graham missed three. Like, those are some points the Hawks left on the floor. But, you know, true shooting-wise, the Hawks had a 66% clip. That's that, that's an elite figure, of course. Turnovers were limited to only 16, and in a 50 minute, 58-minute game, that's pretty solid as well. 33 assists. The Hawks had a season-high 21 threes in this game, and that was not all because of the overtime. They had 18 through regulation, so it wasn't like that was a, a big fluke. And uh, also a season-high percentage, 49% for Atlanta, and 55% from the floor. So lots of balanced quality offense throughout this game for the Hawks, and that is a very, very nice thing to see um, in a spot where they had to get a win to <laughs> inspire a little bit. Because if they lost this one after the, after the way they blew it in overtime, in regulation, I should say, that would have been pretty frustrating. Defensively, it was not as good. Um, it's worth noting that the Hornets actually entered this game as the second worst offensive team in the entire league, and they posted a 127 offensive rating. That is bad. Um, I will say there, there should be some credit given, especially to Rogier, uh, who made a ton of not super difficult shots, but certainly not easy shots. Rogier and Graham combined for 67 points 
on 52 shot attempts. That's pretty solid efficiency. Uh, the Martin Twins also had big games off the bench. Charlotte made some shots in this game. I, that's not to excuse Atlanta's defense because it was not very good, but I think if you watch just the shot quality in this spot, Atlanta's defense was a little bit better than it actually proved to be on the stat sheet. Still not great, and uh, a 127 defensive rating does speak for itself. I wanted to play a bit of audio for you from Lloyd Pierce. Right now is a good time to do it, I think, because Pierce was actually asked kind of what he felt about his defense and whether his defense had kind of um, improved or where it needs to be at, at, at this point in time is kind of the what I think he took for the question. So here's what Lloyd said when he was asked about if his defense is where it needs to be at this point in time. Um, not there. Uh, in terms of individuals, you know, the, the biggest the biggest challenge is, you know, how do we find that competitive spirit every night? And each guy has a different concern. Um, you know, Kevin, can we be more physical when he's guarding guards like tonight with, with, with Devontae Graham and Terry Rozier? You know, Cam is tremendous, you know, but when he's gambling too much, we want him to be in a contained type of mode. Dean Hunt, you know, I think he does a great job of containing. I want him to be a little riskier. You know, if him and Cam can balance out each other, on the right page. Trey is, he's got to put up that consistent fight. You know, teams want to put him in pick and rolls and they want to try and post him. And his challenge is to, to make it tough every single time. I try and tell him to be pesky. I try and tell him to fight. Um, but he's got to provide that resistance all the time. And John has made tremendous strides, um, you know, because we play him at the five a lot. And he's a guy that we're trying to keep down on the floor a lot. He's become more of a rim protector and it's his challenge. He does a great job with the verticality. He's got more blocks this year. I mean, probably double than what he had last year in less games. Um, and so it's the challenge of him being more of a rim protector when he's at that five position. But they're all making strides. It's always going to be a long way um, for each guy to develop that consistent, tenacious defensive mentality because they're skilled, talented players that have been called to do offensive things for most of their career. And we're just trying to challenge them to be a little bit better each and every day. So I wouldn't say there's anything like amazing to take away from that, but you know, rarely is there an answer in one place in which the head coach is talking about you know all of the core guys basically in the way that they're playing defensively right now, from Hunter and Reddish to Trey and Herder and all that stuff. So uh, I thought it was noteworthy, and uh, even with this very long game podcast, I want to include it because I thought it was uh, even in the moment I was like, oh, that's probably good podcast fodder. So uh, there you go on that. Listen to it, listen back to it if you if you so choose because I always get questions about defense, and I'm uh, on the record as saying that Red Auerbach or Phil Jackson or Greg Popovich couldn't fix this defense, but uh, it's worth pointing out that stuff when it comes to the individual stuff in this game, and uh, in the end. The Hawks won, the, the Hawks won this game, and again, one more time, the defense was not quite as bad, I didn't think, as the numbers would indicate. Uh, individually, we will dive in now, as we always do, quickly, anyway. Um, on the bench, only one real standout, and that was Cam Reddish, and we'll save, that, we'll save him for the end. Bruno Fernando played five minutes, two points, and a rebound. Uh, DNPs for Damian Jones and Brandon Goodwin. Jones is not a surprise. Goodwin is a mild surprise, especially in this game, because Charlotte does play pretty small in the backcourt with Rogier and Graham playing together a lot. And Goodwin could have been pretty useful in that game, but um, I will say the Hawks did end up pushing their key guys a little bit more than they normally would, so it's a little bit more explainable. I would have probably liked to see Goodwin a little bit, but I also get it on the flip side. Um, Jeff Teague, 14 minutes, 7.3 assists. There was one moment where where Lloyd Pierce was pretty visibly you know, pleading with Teague to shoot the ball on a shot clock violation. Uh, but Teague was one of one from three, only took four shots. Um, that's not the first time that Lloyd's been pretty visibly uh, trying to get Jeff to shoot it, and he's also admitted that in the post-game press conference before. Jeff's not just not, not firing away as much as you probably want him to, but I thought he played okay when he was out there. 
Vince Carter made three threes. They were all big shots, including a couple of uh, open ones that were, I would say, momentum plays. He didn't do much else. He was three five from the floor, uh, from three three of six from the floor. Nine points, one one assist in fifteen minutes. I thought, I thought he was just fine. He did his job. Travion Graham, same sort of thing. Seven points, four rebounds, and an assist. Travion did play a little bit in the overtime because I think they just had to get um, the rookie the rookies a blow basically. Um, but I thought Graham was fine defensively. He he never he never burns you. He missed free, he missed three free throws, which will kind of come back and bite you a little bit occasionally. But made his only three point attempt, two or three from the floor, and I continue to like what Travion Graham is bringing. The jump shot is is what it is, but everything else is just fine. And defensively, he brings a sort of a hard nosed attitude and some execution to the table. Um, Cam Reddish played starter minutes in this game, 40 minutes off the bench for Cam. Um, he probably played a little bit more than he would have, but even then, he just played so well that, you know, there you go. Uh, 22 points for Reddish, seven rebounds, two assists, and a steal in 40 minutes, eight of 14 from the floor, three of eight from three, so five of six on twos. That's what you want to see from them, including he had he had one gorgeous um, finish at the rim with his left hand. That's something you definitely want to see more of from Cam. Just his finishing has not always been fantastic. There was a couple nice plays in this game, though, shooting the ball with confidence. Um you know, what, what else are you going to say? Defensively, he was pretty good as well. So uh, another nice game for Reddish, and he's obviously growing before our very eyes on a nightly basis here. To the starters, Devin, I thought, played well before he fouled out. In fact, he was he was plus 20, which was easily the best mark in the game. That's not all traced to him, of course, but 14 points, 9 rebounds, 3 block shots, 2 assists in 26 minutes. Sorry, 28 minutes. He shot the ball, he shot the ball well in this game, 2 of 4 from 3. Um, yeah, there you go. I thought Deadman was much, much better in this game. Not only the shooting, just the way his uh, overall impact was, and I thought he was much needed in this spot. Deandre Hunter was pretty quiet offensively. Only took five shots in 37 minutes. Um, part of that's that he took, he took five free throws, but just wasn't nearly as aggressive in bombing. He did make three of his four from, from three, but him only taking one two-point field goal in this game is not what you want to see necessarily. I did note before that he did have those two attempts at the rim that were kind of dunk attempts, one of which ended in a foul. There's not a whole lot going on around the rim. I will say I do like that he was sort of excising his mid-range game in this spot. He's been taking a little bit too many mid-rangers for my, for my liking recently, and basically just that, that that didn't happen at all in this game. And the rebounding was nice, 13 points, 11 rebounds to uh, tie for the lead on the team. In fact, Pierce noted post game that um, Melvin Hunt the lead assistant actually sort of jokingly challenged Herder to get fi- uh, sorry Hunter to get 15 rebounds in this game he had 11 and got close to it and I thought he played pretty well overall even if there was a couple of uh, rookie moments along the way um Kevin Herder didn't do a whole lot along the way here but to have his uh, his spacing was useful 10 points six assists five rebounds the assists have been building and building for Herder recently that's something to point out for sure Shooting-wise, not his best, but not his worst either. I thought he was just kind of solid. Um, you're going to need more from him defensively at times, but he's, the force spacing was, was crucial. He had a couple big rebounds, I thought, in the uh, latter uh, the latter stages of his game. And then the two big stars, of course. We'll, we'll go to John Collins first. 12-13 from the floor, 28 points, 11 rebounds, two block shots. The only sort of black mark was 4-8 from the free-throw line, but I thought Collins was great in this game. In fact... The Hawks just have to give him the ball more. There were a couple of instances that I've already seen on tape, even in my brief rewatch, where John is just wide open and has a great seal that would have been a dunk, and the Hawks miss him. I know that he's not a guy, and Pierce always says this, that he's not a guy that you run, that you have to run a ton of plays for, but at some point, you, the Hawks just have to get him the ball more often. You know, midway through the third quarter, he had, he was 10 upset from the floor, and only took three more shots the rest of the game, and I know some of that's game flow, but you just have to get him the ball more often. 13 shots in 46 minutes for John Collins is just not enough. Even when you factor in the eight free throws, that's only 17 shooting possessions, and uh, as good as he is, he just needs to, he needs to have the ball a little bit more than he has at times in this game, but you can't complain about the way he played, though, obviously. 28 points, 11 rebounds, and very efficient and good defense as well. There you go. Troy Young, um, 
a lot of high highs, honestly. 31 points, 16 assists, uh, his highest number in a while in that category. Six turnovers, which is just fine for all the way that he had to carry the load in this game. Four rebounds, 44 minutes, 11 to 25 from the floor, 6 of 13 from three, uh, sort of breaking out of his slump that he had been in. As I said in the last podcast, he had been 9 of 51 in his last few games from three-point range. Uh, so he definitely needed this kind of breakout to knock down a bunch of shots in this game. He, he definitely did that. Um, two point range, a little bit, a little bit of a struggle. Um, Trey sort of made fun of himself after the game, talking about how he, the game, the game shouldn't have gone to uh, overtime. Um, obviously, the free throw that he missed was the only one that he missed in the whole game was the one that could have uh, ended the game in regulation. But this Florida game was a little bit off in this spot. He was 5 of 12 on twos. Um, I don't worry about that too much with him, but uh, worth pointing out at least in this brief time. But the passing was legitimate, as always. His passing is just elite and, you know, on a regular basis. So, you know, he was good. He made every play the Hawks needed to make. Obviously, the couple of uh, shortcomings in big, big moments here uh, are worth noting. But, uh, again, on the flip side of that, he had seven points to open the first overtime period, made a couple plays in the second overtime period. He did a lot to help the Hawks win this game, even if the uh, couple of misses at the very, very, very end of certain periods uh, will probably get a lot of attention. Still, a good team win for the Hawks and one they probably needed to get um, heading into the rest of the week. Atlanta does have a pretty easy schedule on paper. As I said before, this is their easiest schedule of the, of the entire season on paper. It's this game, which the Hawks did get a win in, and they were favored in. Wednesday, they have the Knicks at home, and if the Hawks have everybody available in that game um, that played tonight, I expect them to be favored in that game as well. And then they have two days off before they uh, host... Um, the Cavaliers on Saturday. So all those games are very winnable for Atlanta. In fact, if I if memory serves, uh, and I believe it does, yeah, the Hawks will actually have a rest advantage a little bit um, because the Knicks will be coming in on the second night of a back-to-back after they go to Washington on Tuesday. That is one to point out. So in addition to having home court against a team that's not very good in the Knicks, um, the Hawks will be... Uh, having the advantage when it comes to rest and home court. So that, that's a spot where the Hawks should be pretty solidly favored. And then same thing over the weekend, because Cleveland goes to Charlotte on Friday before they come to Atlanta on Saturday. So back-to-back games in which the Hawks might even be the better team. They'll already be at home, and they'll have a rest advantage. So no excuses in those games, obviously, for Atlanta. So between now and the next and the next game the Hawks, the Hawks play on Wednesday, I'm not sure if I have a podcast or not. I do have one lined up, um, at least one in, in between. Wednesday's game and Saturday's game with a guest that hopefully will not fall through. I always enjoy having that person around if we can get them on the podcast. So lock that in, hopefully. And uh, if nothing else, please subscribe to the podcast. I really appreciate everybody that's already done that. We've seen some growth in the the number of subscriptions, so I really appreciate that. Please keep doing that. Please keep telling friends if you want to uh, help us spread the word on the podcast. If you you know a couple of Hawks fans, friends, guys, people that people that go to games that might want to dive in a little bit more, share the podcast with them. If they hate it, that's okay. But give us a shot. I really appreciate everybody. already done that so thank you thank you so much for doing that also support our sponsors um indeed as today's sponsor so check them out and uh, also check out the entire lockdown podcast network i know uh one of the future one of the future podcasts that uh is worth listening to is the hollinger and duncan is the hollinger and duncan show so go ahead and check that out as well um yeah i'm rambling now it's very very late into the evening and now into the morning obviously but thank you for joining us on this extended edition of the podcast and i'll get a win very very nice to see and i know probably more 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 fun to listen to a podcast if you're a fan of a team if they win than if they lose So thank you for listening as always. We'll see everybody at the very, very latest on Wednesday night. So stay tuned for that.